Welcome to the How to Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm very honored to have Vitaly Buford. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day on such short notice as well to come and share your incredible story. You know, Vitaly has shared with me some information. We were introduced uh, via a common friend, and she has... I think an incredible journey to share with us. It's even more than the beginning or end, it's what's going on in the middle. So can you kind of just share with us a little bit about yourself um, and where you, this all kind of began, your struggles with addiction and your recovery and how that all pertained to teaching, getting you now to where you're doing coaching. So where yeah. would you like to start? Thanks, Lori. Um, and yeah, thanks again for, for having me. Um, I, um, the most of my life, I struggled with um, body image and, and self-worth. Um, I really thought I needed to be a certain size um, and achieve certain things and needed all these external things um, to be worthy of love. And when I was in college, um, you know, came across the drug Adderall and use it as a study drug and realized, oh my goodness, I can work two jobs, take 18 hours and still get straight A's. Oh, and bonus, a side effect is um, I'm not really hungry and I actually lose weight. Um, so, you know, dabbled with it a little bit. Um, and then my senior year of college, um, a relative of mine had um, said to me that I was fat and it really just sort of triggered, um, you know, this body image and, and self-worth thing that obviously I've been dealing with my entire life. And so I got my own prescription to it when I was a senior in college and therein um, had a 10-year um, addiction to Adderall that ended when I was 31. So 10 years. Wow. Yeah. What was going on in those 10 years? I and mean, what were you doing? How were you struggling? Or how were you dealing with that? Yeah, so... For 10 years, um, I was extremely um, high achieving professionally. So um, I worked in large companies. I was high up in those companies. And um, so very high performing. Um, and so really didn't see a lot of consequences. But my, my entire um, life was, was my work. And that was my identity. That's really all I did. So I worked a lot um, and was able to maintain um, a thin body, um, without having to work out and really eating whatever I wanted. Um, obviously a lot of downside, um, because I wasn't living my life. I was just doing all these things for 10 years and not dealing with feelings and not really, um, just using a lot of external things, um, to cope with life. And, um, it, it was just, as I look back, I mean, at that time, it was a third of my life that I had been addicted to it um, and sad to look back on it. Where do you think the struggle originally originated from? Was there something in your childhood? Was there trauma or just the media? What was it that triggered it for you that you had a body image issue? Because if a lot of parents who listen to this, I'm a parent, um, you know, I primary care docs, I'm always looking to see what is it that we can avoid those circumstances in other young women? Yeah, so um, there was alcoholism in my home life, and um, I think that um, played a large role. Mm. 
okay. in that. And I think needing to be thinking I needed to be perfect. Right. Okay. Um, so rejection along the way. Yeah. Neglect. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then as you were going through, you were high achieving, what was going on in your mind? Were you just kind of, you know, ignoring the fact of that you required this medication for you to yeah. continue down that fast track of basically destruction? I'm assuming at some point you were feeling overwhelmed. What was going on there? What was, what was that tipping point for you? Yeah. So you know, I, I knew that I had a problem. I knew I, it was going to be a problem day one. Like I knew that addiction ran in my family. And so I avoided like recreational drugs. Um, but of course there you go, a prescription drug. Um, but I knew it was a problem immediately. Um, and so you can only imagine what my tolerance was across 10 years. And in the last four years of that, um, 10 year addiction, I was drinking every, every day to come down from the stimulant. Wow. So you were taking the Adderall in the morning and then drinking at night. So what was your, was there a home life? Were you married? Was there any social life at all? It was just really just work and surviving with stimulants. And And I was, I was single and um, I made good enough money that I could afford the habit. Um, But it was all consuming. Like, where am I going to get the drug next? And do I have enough? And am I going to run out? I mean, it was when I got sober, it was amazing the amount of time I had in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious, did the doctors never question your requests for these type of medications? Did they send you for official testing? How did that originally start? Yeah. So ADD runs in my family, but I am not ADD. Um, and that, you know, 10 years ago, the, the restrictions and regulations on that class of drug were much looser than they are now. Um, and so I knew what the symptoms were. And so all you had to do was say that, I mean, I think that there's a lot of over, over prescribing or there was in my case, um, but I also do the right things to say, um, you know, couldn't multitask, you know, have trouble paying attention, all those sort of like key things that they ask. And it ran in my family. So it was genetic. Um, yeah. Were you nervous the first time you went in to see the doctor and knowing in your mind, I don't have this problem, but I just want the drug and I'm going to be, you know, dishonest or misrepresent myself to this physician. I mean, what was, what was that like? I mean, what, what, was going through your mind to think that that was okay. I'm just curious. So, because I know as a physician, we all are all, you know, gullible to those type of situations and we want to do what's best for the patient. So what was going on in your mind to make you feel that desperate to be able to, to have that happen? Um, I wasn't, I just wasn't healthy, you know, it wasn't, um, I didn't have a healthy self-worth. And those things gave me that easily. um, Mm -hmm. Or so I thought they did. I didn't, didn't know what, you know, the, the exchange or the price that I was going to pay later on for, for that. But I remember my, my best friend getting it from the same doctor and I scheduled an appointment. And I mean, I remember practicing the key things and I remember being in the waiting room and being really nervous. Um, and then getting a prescription. Wow. Okay. And then after the first time, it's probably much easier to go now. Then you're just basically continuing what you need to do. Wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of manipulation. I don't like admitting that about myself, but it's right. part of my story. 
Right. Well, we all have parts of ourselves that are, (laughs) (laughs) if only our humans would be perfect. Well, that'd be great. (laughs) But um, certainly it's, it's sad to see that people, you know, they struggle with food or alcohol or drugs of your choice. And, you know, they think that it's um, the only answer that they're so desperate that they're searching. They're always searching for something. And so was there any physical side effects from all of this? I mean, did you have any problems or medical concerns that popped up? You know, I didn't. Um, I, you know, a lot of like um, grinding of my teeth just from stress. Um, I smoked a lot of cigarettes because of it, because I always needed to keep my hands busy. Um, you know, my heart would beat fast, but, um, and when I went into rehab and I told them how much I was taking, they were actually really surprised that I hadn't had a heart issue. Um, but I was relatively, I mean, I'm, I guess just being a healthy person didn't really experience a lot of physical side effects. Other well, than much, being sleep deprived and, and that. Sure. How much were you taking? Um, at the very, um, at the end of the 10 years, about 350 milligrams. And one doctor was giving you all of that? No. Oh, I see. So you, you searched out for different physicians yeah. and not, nobody caught you. Nobody checked yeah. any system to see if you were getting the same drug from other doctors. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so at what point in this 10 years, so you've been going through, I mean, you probably don't even know any other normal, right? Like this is your, this is it. This is what life is. When did something change? What was, what was that point or did something happen? A thought, what was going on? Yeah. So, um, and I'm being very transparent. So, um, about two years before I got sober, two doctors had found out about each other and stopped prescribing me. And Mm -hmm. so my one psychiatrist was like, I'm not going to prescribe you anymore, but you need to go off of it. And so I did, but I wasn't ready. Like this wasn't my decision. I wasn't ready. I was kind of forced into it. So I went about four months without it, you know, working out, couldn't lose, you know, because you gain, obviously you get really, you haven't been eating a whole lot. (laughs) You haven't been sleeping a whole lot. And your life, you that's the norm, right, is this drug. So I was depressed, hungry, tired. Um, and I had been also used to, for eight years, the, the quote, easy way. So um, I then went back on it. And um, then I guess two years later, or whatever, however many months later, year and however many months later, I, um, two doctors found out about it again, and that was the end of it for me. Hmm. So how did they let you know? Did they send you a letter? Did they call? Yeah. Uh, okay. So was it just the shakiness of like, well, I'm, what I'm doing is, could be perceived as illegal or perceived as trouble? And I mean, what was going through your mind? Was it just the fear? Of, or that. The, the part of it being illegal, but I also knew I couldn't continue living my life that way. Like there aren't unlimited amounts of Adderall. Like if I ever wanted to get married and start a family, like I'd been, I hadn't been honest. Like I'd been living, I'd been lying to myself um, and living this way for so long that I, I knew, um, I knew it was time to change. 
So now what about friends and family? I mean, they must have seen something. Did anyone say anything to you or did they just ignore it or what was going on there? No one knew. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, they thought maybe at times, but I think it's just such a very private, like kind of hidden drug. Um, And aren't too many, like, you can't really like noticeable. I mean, there are some, but not, not, not real obvious. You weren't jittery or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nobody mentioned, oh, you're drinking every night, Vitaly. What's going on? Well, they don't know that. Um, Uh. You know, not everyone knew that I was, that I was drinking every night um, because I live by myself. Gotcha. How much were you drinking? Goodness. Well, bourbon was my drink of choice um, and probably three or four a night. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you have 350 milligrams of Adderall and then the bourbon and then how much, how many cigarettes a day were you smoking? Oh my goodness. Probably a pack a day. It was ridiculous. Wow. Okay. So you have a chemical toxic chaos going on in your poor body must be going, it doesn't know which way to respond. So what was the day that you finally said, I have to go and get help? And what yeah. did you do? So it's really this kind of beautiful, beautiful story. So um, the the phrase that really changed my life was, um, I see in you what I refuse to see in me. And um, it was someone that I had hired to work at the company that I was working at. And um, he and I were working together. He was a coach. And he saw me interacting with my employees and he said, Vitaly, he goes, I think you're, he goes, are you critical of other people? And I remember looking at him and I was like, you don't know me. (laughs) Like, he's like, no. Um, And I was really offended by the comment because I had zero self-awareness at this point. Um, And he goes, no, I think you're critical of other people and your team members because you're critical of yourself. And then he said to me, I see in you what I refuse to see in me. And so I kind of sat with that information and and let it sink in. And then a week later, my mom came to visit me and she relapsed at my house. And I was really, really angry. Um, And I looked at her and I was, you know, just thinking, why can't you just get sober? And then that phrase came into my mind, I see in you what I refuse to see in me. Mm. Now, I was wanting my mom to get sober, but I was refusing to get sober. And so it just, in this instant, um, this was in May, I went to rehab the beginning of June. And that happened, and I literally got down on my knees and prayed for the very first time to God that I needed to change and that I could no longer live this, my life this way. And then two weeks later, I drove myself to rehab. Wow. So your mom relapsed at your house yeah. and you were basically faced with hypocrisy to yourself. Yeah. So that's a tough, that's something tough to swallow. So what did your mom end up doing? Is she still struggling with addiction herself? If you don't yeah. mind me asking. Yes. Okay. So you drove to rehab. Wow. What a humbling experience. What did you tell your folks at work or did you just take a sabbatical or quit or vacation? I I was honest. Um, and that was what was so scary to me because my, um, profession had been my identity. 
um, for my entire life. And I was really good at that. And so I was like, oh my God, what are they going to think? And um, I remember going in and telling them that I had a, um, an addiction to Adderall and that I needed to go to rehab. And they let me. They, and they were supportive. They were, they were very supportive. Everyone has been really supportive. When you start living your life honestly, things, good things happen. <laughs> yeah, they do. They really do. So then you drove to rehab. How long were you in rehab? I was um, at inpatient rehab for two weeks and um, did outpatient, I believe, two or three months. Okay. And so during that process, during the two weeks, what was it like just stopping these drugs and alcohol? What were your emotional, physical, spiritual, what was going on? I mean, what was, I mean, beyond being scared of the unknown of like, what am I going to do after this? Or even what's going to happen in the next minute? What was going on? Yeah. So I had, I guess, quote, detoxed from the drug um, before I'd gone um, to rehab because I'd completely run out. Again, the two doctors had found out about each other. And um, and really the detox is, I mean, you're just really tired and really hungry because your body hasn't been receiving the food that it needs and you're sleep deprived. So um, I was really tired and really hungry. And I was I slept a lot at the beginning of rehab Um, and honestly, you're kind of on a pink cloud because you're like, okay, I'm making this change in my life and go me, um, and learning to just, you know, one day at a time, I guess, um, most rehab is a blur. (laughs) Okay. And then you returned after two weeks. Did you go back to work right away or did you? And then I did outpatient in the evenings, which was good for me. And I needed the outpatient because I needed, you know, I needed a new routine. I needed something to keep me busy. So I went to work until six and then I did the outpatient from like six to 9 PM. Wow. And how many nights a week were you doing that? It was four nights a week. And then I went to meetings outside of that when I was. Were these AA meetings? What type of meetings? No, it was through the rehab. Through the rehab. Yeah. What were you learning during this time for someone who hasn't had an addiction how can you describe to them what you have to work through? I mean, and still working through, I'm sure, but in those initial two to three months, what is going through the mind of someone in recovery? What, what are they struggles with? What are their fears? Kind of share with us so we can understand. Um, You know, you're really trying to get down or uncover um, the reasons you were using and the feelings you've been avoiding And, um, you know, so if someone gets uncomfortable or, and then they drink instead of dealing with it or, you know, um, but but it's really like starting to peel the layers of the onion Mm -hmm. back. Um, and, um, that's a really good question. I really have thought it, thought it through because it was not, I mean, I'm three and a half years sober, so it wasn't that long ago, but it kind of was long ago. Um, but yeah, I think it's just that beginning of like self-awareness. Why are you using them? Um, and really giving you um, ways to, to live life sober. Mm. And what were those were just, what do you mean by ways of living life sober? What does that mean? You know, like 
developing a network of people that are sober, um, you know, reaching out if you are having, you know, trouble um, in sobriety um, and really keeping busy. And um, there's a lot of, you know, effort, like daily affirmation books that you read a passage um, and kind of meditate on that. Um, so some of those just tools and I guess the one, the whole like one day at a time. Right. What's been your favorite part about your sobriety? Um, gosh, I think where I am today, um, life is so much more beautiful and I love myself. So there, therefore I'm able to love others in ways that I wasn't able to before, um, because I didn't give myself the love I needed. So there was a little hiccup though, after your initial sobriety, right. And you kind of went into almost the extreme opposite, which I've, I think I've seen in other addiction you know, people who have had addictions and they go into some extreme sports that aren't necessarily healthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not saying all of them, but certainly some. Where where it happened to you during that time? Yeah. So um, I didn't really know this yet because, again, the layers of the onion. But um, you know, body image was at the heart of all of this, I believe. Um, and so for me. Um, you know, obviously you've been used, I've been using a drug for 10, for 10 years that sped up my metabolism. So I could eat whatever I wanted and not gain weight. Um, and so when I went off the drug, obviously my metabolism slowed down and I gained weight. Um, and your body's, my body was adjusting to the new normal, but you know, I was not very patient. So I started working out a lot, started restricting the food, that I took in and then realized that I developed an eating disorder and got down to 105 pounds. Wow. How tall are you? Five, six. Okay. That's definitely too thin. So at that point, how does, how do you go from, okay. So it makes sense that you go from one addiction to another. You just, you know, someone who's like, for example, in rehab, they may go straight to junk food because that's what's available if they're inpatient. And I've yeah. met people and talked to people who do that. So, but now you're at home and you're going to exercise and food restriction. So you're playing around with anorexia. What is it now that transitions you to a healthy normal? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. So, um, you know, I finally was able to say out loud, um, to my psychiatrist that I was seeing at the time, um, he was like, Batali, you have an eating disorder. And so I think recognizing it, because, you know, I was like, I'm functioning and, you know, I'm not in a hospital, so I don't have an eating disorder. Like, it's not that bad. Um, and so him saying it and then me saying it out loud, like for the first time was really this recognition. Um, and really, I was frustrated. It's like I give up the drug and now I develop this. It was really frustrating for me. Um, but I realized, OK, I'm still not dealing with the deeper issues you know, um, and I was letting, you know, just like the drug was controlling my life, food and exercise was then now controlling my life. Okay. Um, so, so what was your first steps? Go ahead. Sorry. What was your first steps of healing? I mean, how do you begin another recovery in such rapid succession? Yeah. So for me, all of my growth, um, and these are some of the things that I coach on, like all of my growth has come from getting uncomfortable like purposefully uncomfortable doing things that, you know, again, are going to be uncomfortable going to rehab, uncomfortable telling my bosses, I have an addiction and I need to go to rehab 
uncomfortable. Um, and so for me with the eating disorder, I had to start eating normal food and knowing that I was going to be uncomfortable, start working out only six days a week instead of seven days a week. And knowing that that was going to get, that was going to make me uncomfortable. Um, and then I, I really credit my, the biggest change for me that changed my life. And I'm forever grateful is I became the guardian of my six-year-old nephew, um, about 18 months ago. And a, I knew I didn't want to be a role model that had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a healthy role model and a healthy parent. Um, and also as a single parent, I couldn't do those things and have, you know, I, I could not work out and eat those foods anymore. And I also didn't, I didn't want to, to be that kind of parent. So when he came um, into my life 18 months ago, it really changed me. Um, mm -hmm. and he's been my greatest teacher. <laughs> Nothing like parenthood to change <laughs> your entire life. Trust me. I've been one for 24 years almost. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's a humbling and scary proposition, but it's, it's the most blessed thing you'll ever do for sure. I know that at least. And so now you started your own business and yeah. your own, what is this all about? Tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so um, I became a certified life coach and um, started coaching women on the side um, during the certification process that I actually went through because of my company. Um, I was coaching the um, executive team and just started wanted formal training. So I got the formal training and through that discovered that this is sort of my life purpose, not sort of my life. It is my life purpose um, is to help people love the person they see in the mirror because I, for most of my life, did not love the person I see in the mirror. And I'm talking external and internal, um, loving everything about you. Um, and so I have, um, some steps that I coach people through, um, and I have some coaching programs, but it's, it's new. And again, starting a business uncomfortable, <laughs> um, Absolutely. yeah. So, um, really just grateful for my life's journey because it brought me where I am now and now I can help other people. So are you doing this in addition to your full-time job? I am, um, but I am being, um, I'm, I've put in my notice and so I'm, I'm doing the, yeah, I'm doing my business full time. <laughs> That's enough to make you like, okay, this is it. You know, it's like burn your ships. You're not going back. <laughs> you land, you burn the ships. There's the only way forward. Right. No, right. <laughs> so for example, let's, what type of person do you like to work with? Tell us who is that individual who is your avatar of your, of your customer that you would feel like they may be someone in the audience listening is like, you know, yeah. I really could use some coaching and I think she's would be the perfect person. Who is that? Or what yeah. would you think that would be? So uh, my typical client is a woman, um, 30 to 60 years old um, and someone who's really just not fulfilled in life. And it could be in any area of her life. It could be as a mom, um, as a professional, um, as a spouse, as, um, a, you know, just a, a friend. Um, but there's just something, um, there's something that's off in their life. There's not, they're not a hundred percent fulfilled and they're wanting to make a change. And so how would they contact you? Should someone be interested in reaching yeah. out? 
So my Instagram is just at Vitali Buford. And my email is just Vitali at gmail.com. So you got Vitali at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> A long, long time ago. Yeah, I was like, you lucked out. <laughs> sure. All right. And I'll make sure and put those on here. So walk us through what does a coach do? So some people are like, what is a life coach or, a, you know, someone to help overcome whatever problem they're having? What does that exactly entail? I mean, are there forms? Is there assignments? Tell us what exactly that they do. Yeah. So I think, you know, every coach has their own way of working with people. Um, and, and for me, you know, the goals are really driven by um, the client. So I'm not attached to the client's outcome. Um, I pull their direction and what they're wanting to achieve out of them, but I do not know what's best for them. The client knows what's best for them. I just help pull it out of them and, and help them learn to trust themselves. So um, go ahead. Sorry. So it's kind of like a, you're kind of like the, they talk to you until they basically talked it out is what they want. You're, you're uh-huh. that sounding board in a sense and redirecting. So let's say you have a client that veers off from where you feel that they had said they wanted to go. Do you just let them go and learn how to return or do you kind of gently steer back? I mean, what does that coach and deal? What do you do in those type of circumstances? Yeah. So I let them, I let them go with it. I mean, all of my coaching um, relationships, I start with looking at the things that they're tolerating in their life. Okay. And then also the things that they value in their life or they value as a person, but may not be living those values. Hmm. And so it's whichever resonates. So there's the value list and then the list of things they're tolerating. And it just depends on the client. I just kind of figure out which, which exercise is going to be most effective for them. And we look at those and the things that they want to work on the most and we create goals and I serve as their accountability. So I coach them through it. I coach them through doing uncomfortable things so that they can grow. Um, And uh, yeah, again, so this, this getting uncomfortable thing is a major, major theme for me. So really, I mean, this kind of resonates to your whole story. I know there's so much more we could gone into much more greater detail is basically being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that goes along with anything in life, right? So you can, you know, live in your shell and live a secluded and sheltered life, but is that really living? And that's the sense of what you're kind of describing. So you decided to get out of the shell of, I know what Adderall is going to do for me, but now I'm going to live life and be happy whether I'm scared, sad, joyful or not. You know, all of this, this is better than living this known encapsulated being versus this where you're thriving, right? So you feel like you can thrive at that point. That's really cool. So, you know, that's, Positive psychology is one of my favorite subjects. And oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> you need to, you should listen to Carolyn um, Adams Miller's. I've interviewed her twice. She wrote the book Getting Grit, and she has yeah. a master's in positive psychology from UPenn. And holy moly, this lady is amazing. But um, she's, uh, she overcame bulimia. And so Um, she overcame that 30 years ago when it, nobody talked about overcoming it. It just certainly was very minimal resources for help. So 
encourage people to reach out and she's really um very good at making people uncomfortable <laughs> but being comfortable comfortable she's a coach as well so that's fantastic so besides the being comfortable with being uncomfortable what is one piece of advice you would have with someone let's say who's struggling with a particular aspect in their life be it being healthy giving up an addiction not sure how to move forward with a goal what is that like one golden thing that you like to to remind people or tell them to do or think about yeah um so growth is is right outside of our comfort zone um i think for me um look at look at what you're fearing what is your fear and and do that um if you need to have, and that could be having an uncomfortable conversation with your spouse. Um, it could be, you know, setting aside one night for yourself as self-care and not taking care of the kids and letting your spouse take care of the kids. That might make you uncomfortable. Um, it might be deciding to go to rehab. Um, so it can be something small, it can be something large, but do that. Mm-hmm. And I think we haven't really touched on this, but the biggest thing is you have to let go of control. Mm. Tell me what that means. Yeah. So, um, and, and trusting a higher power of the universe is also important. Um, but for me, you have to let go of control of the outcome, you know, like I had to know that, okay, I'm going to tell my bosses that I'm going to rehab and I'm just going to see where it goes. Like I cannot control their reaction mm. and, Oh, turns out that it was positive, you know? Um, I can't control, you know, the whole eating disorder thing is a complete control mechanism. Um, And so, again, peace of mind is on the opposite of control. Like everything, aside from getting uncomfortable, but letting go of control has just been, I would say those two things, the key. I mean, it does really go hand in hand because when you go outside your comfort zone, you're really just saying, I'm stepping outside of what I have control over and what I can guarantee or expect with reasonable, you know, ascertain what the outcome will be, right? So um, that really is, and I think it's hard for people to put that into words as to what that actually looks like, but it's literally what you're saying, doing what scares you. But what scares them is the unknown. Fear is just... Fear is a decision like anything else. There's physical, fear is not a physical thing. It's not going to come wacky on the head. It's not a monster. <laughs> fear is something that you choose to be fearful about. Now, granted, you know, being in a war zone, being shot at outside of that, or being in a situation <laughs> where your physical safety is in, in, you know, in question, um, everything else really is, it's a figment of our imagination. Yeah. You know, and so we- really... Yeah, we spend so much time trying to control things, you know, trying to to control our children or trying to control outcomes at work and life, relationships. Um, And it's like, just let let go and um, and really, really take care of your side of the road, because it's the only thing that you can control is yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And exactly. And I think, you know more recent in my life is being letting go of kids because they grow up and they want to go and get married. Can one of my daughters, um, <laughs> recently yeah. engaged and I'm like, Oh, this is great. But wow. <laughs> right. That's a <laughs> and, lot. You know, it is. And you have two other kids that are in college and you're thinking, 
Hmm. So now you're in a new phase of life and you can either enjoy it and say, Hey, this is new experiences. God bless my husband. It is a deal with me or more, (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, you think about, um, well, now I'm fearful because I, I'm not in control of their lives. I don't, you know, they don't call me for everything. They don't ask. I have to trust that I've raised them with, you know, well-intentioned, good kids that are going to take care of, well, young adults that are going to take good care of themselves and, and make the right decisions. And if they don't, well, then you're there to love them and work through it. So it is, it's, life is just a continual growth pattern. of decisions. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm a truly, I'm a, I believe I, in God. And so I truly believe he's like, you know, there, there's never a moment, you know, that you're, you're like, ah, I finally got something figured out. It's like, oh, I'm sure I can stretch you and you can learn a few more things <laughs> just like you did. Right. But so think, you know, people go, a lot of people go, well, why did this happen to me? And, you know, I've certainly had things happen in my life. But like, why? Um, I would, I think I'm a good person. I think I've, you know, done well in, in taking care of others, but something tragic will happen. And you always sit back and go, why? Well, I think it's part of your mission in life to those experiences to help others, right? It's all about service and what you can do. So yeah. I think that's where you're finding your joy, I think, is you're finding joy and finally finding service to others. And not so much um, focused on what you need to make yourself feel like you can be loved by others. It's actually service of others. Yeah. You're finding that is that is your ticket, right? Yeah. So. It's, um, yeah, it's been really cool. I've turned, um, you know, I don't regret anything that I've done in my past because it's led me to where I am now. Right. Absolutely. So it's going to be a beautiful thing to see where you go and who you help and who you uh change lives and you never know it's just it's really fun it's a fun process that's for sure and how many people I can get to get uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) exactly well and you know you mentioned in the beginning before we ever started recording you love the person in the mirror now yeah and I think that's really true I mean God calls us to love a being that he created so he's certainly lovable and worthy of love and so um you know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be held to a certain standard of behavior or moral integrity and that type of thing. But at the same time, we have to love our failures and our, you know, our, and our um, successes because that's really what makes us human. It's, it's a very perfectly imperfect life. So um, it's good though. So very exciting. Is there anything else you want to share? Um. You know, just again, just want to thank you for um, for having me today. But I, I guess the final thing I'll share is that um, you know the time to, to change is now. Um, if, if you're not, for those who will be listening, you know, um, if you're unfulfilled or you're beating yourself up and you have all this self criticism and you don't love who you see in the mirror, um, life is too short. You only get one shot at it. Um, and I wasted a lot of my life hating myself. Um, and I'm so thankful now that I, that I don't, um, but make a change, um, do things that are uncomfortable, let go of control, um, and start practicing self-love because it's worth it. Absolutely. And I think that's a really awesome note to end. So everyone love yourself and look up Vitaly Buford. Buford. <laughs> I know I kept wanting to say Buford. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll put your Instagram at Vitali Buford and your e- Gmail account, Vitali at gmail.com. And 
the show notes. So thanks again for sharing your amazing story. And I can't wait to see where your journey continues to grow as it's just starting really. Yeah. All right, cool. Have a great day.